Good morning. I'm Bob Hocutt, one of the elders here, and we're glad you're here. If you were here last week, you know we've been taking a, a short study to look at how should we exercise our faith in times of great transition. Last week, we spent some time with Moses and Joshua as they were getting ready to cross over into the Promised Land. And in that study, we encourage ourselves to keep our faith in God, who never leaves and doesn't forsake us, and to remind ourselves every day that God is near. We're not abandoned to be faithful in what we're doing and how we're doing it, to be humble, to exercise humility in our actions, in our decisions, in our discussions, in our relationships. And then finally last week we talked about how we should be, can be, exceedingly hopeful in what God is going to do in our midst. Today is the second part of our study, and and we're going to look at 2 Timothy, and we're going to listen in to Paul talking to Timothy as he transitions his ministry to Timothy. So if you have a Bible or your phone or whatever you do, turn to 2 Timothy and we'll pick up there in a minute. At this point in time, Paul is a prisoner of Rome. He is not a prisoner of the Jews this time. He's a prisoner of Rome. And at the time of this writing, he knows that his time is short. He's been abandoned by all the other folks that were with him. And with little hope of being released, he finds it necessary now to transition his life work, his life's work to Timothy. And Paul calls him his protege or his helper, his spiritual son. If you read the whole letter, you will notice that there is not a word of self-pity in what Paul has to say. Instead, Paul has taken this opportunity to challenge and inspire in spite of his circumstances and his suffering. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul encourages Timothy to be faithful and he explains his suffering. In chapter 2, Paul gives Timothy three analogies relating to enduring hardships for the faith. He gives him an analogy of a soldier and of an athlete and a farmer. He doesn't really explain them a whole lot, and my guess is because Timothy had heard these so often, they didn't need to be explained. But he says to Timothy, reflect on these things, and the implication there is learn something. So we're going to pick up in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read this. It's a little bit long, but hang in there with me. But know this. In the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For these, for of this sort, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Jans and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs was also. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord deliver me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, 
which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also all who have loved his appearing. This morning, I would like to take a look at three additional things in this passage that we can learn from Paul as he counsels Timothy on how to conduct himself after Paul is gone. First thing we're going to look at is examining our faith. The second thing I want to look at is getting in the word. The third thing I want to talk about is being ready and being watchful. And then I'll have some final thoughts at the end to tie it all together. So examine your faith. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come. That phrase, last days, refers to the time period between the time Jesus ascended and the time he comes back. He has not come back. So we are living in the last days. The word perilous, your version may have the word difficult. But whatever word your version has, the Greek word translated here is used one other place in the New Testament. And that is used to describe the two violent demon-possessed men of Gadara in Matthew 8.28. You can read about it. It means harsh and fierce and savage. Times means seasons or time periods. So what Paul is telling us in the church age, the age in which we're living now, we are going to have various times of various intensity when we, the church, that's us, will face intense and sometimes savage opposition. So the next question is, what makes the time so perilous? What makes, what makes it perilous? And the answer to that is sin. When sin corrupts the morals and the manners and the attitudes and the tempers of our society, it makes the times dangerous to live in because it is far more difficult to keep our integrity in those kinds of circumstances. In other words, life is really easy when times are good, less so when they're not. But what we see in our society today should be evidence of the truth of Scripture, and we should not be surprised by what we see. Paul then goes on to describe the type of people that this opposition is going to come from. They are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unforgiving, unloving, Slanderers without self-control, they're brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Folks, that is quite a list. And Paul is absolutely right. But then we get, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Paul's right. Paul knows, just like Moses knew, that people will turn away. But what do we see when we get to verse 5? Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such turn away. Who's he talking about? Who are the people that have all these attributes he just got done listing? Who are they? If you do a little research, he's talking about people in the church. Us. People that believe right now. 
These are people who profess Jesus. They're leaders and teachers and they're folks that are involved in all kinds of church things. Professing, professing Christians whose religion is empty. They talk the talk. They put on a good show and they appear godly, but in their motives and thoughts and their relationships, they're not godly people at all. They lack a genuine and personal relationship with God who looks at the heart. God sees your heart and you aren't pulling anything over on him. That pulling things over on God is my favorite J. Vernon McGee verse. If you ever listen to him on the radio, he says that a lot. It's pretty awesome. So if those are the people, those are the characteristics, and the people that have those characteristics are in the church, how does that apply? Consider this. Nature hates a vacuum. If you don't believe that, fill up your bathtub and try and push all the water to one side. And let me know how that works out for you. Okay, you can't do it. This time of transition is something of a vacuum. Something's missing. And therefore, we, all of us, need to be on our guard because the times are evil. And being on guard starts with us each of us examining our faith. Paul went to a lot of trouble to explain the character traits of those from whom the challenges come. They are in the church body. We are the church body. And so if, we, if we're not paying attention and we let this time of transition stir up our emotions or our pride or our anger or any of the other things that Paul mentions there, if we let them get the best of us, we could very well be one of those people that he speaks about. Now, a little inside baseball here. The elders have taken this very seriously. We have a process now where every message that is preached in this time is looked at by all the other elders. Everything I'm saying today and everything I said last week was reviewed by all of us. And we asked questions and we verified our points and our interpretation. The whole point of that is making sure that we, as best we can, do not, exhibit it, do not exhibit any of the attitudes Paul speaks about. Doing our best to present the scripture correctly, to explain it correctly, to draw our, our conclusions correctly, and so on. We want you to see Jesus, not us. I don't want you to see me. See Jesus. And so no matter who is up here, whether it's myself or Alex or one of the other elders from time to time, the message needs to point to Jesus. Paul tells us what to look for, and we need to look inside ourselves and honestly evaluate our motives, our behaviors, our attitudes, and make sure that our faith is in Jesus and him only, and that we do not exhibit those other behaviors. And if we find that we do, take the steps to correct it. Point number two is get in the word. In verse 10, Paul says that Timothy carefully followed or was an eyewitness to Paul's doctrine, his manner of life, his purpose, his faith, his long-suffering, his love, perseverance, persecutions, and afflictions. And that Timothy witnessed time and again how God delivered Paul. In other words, Timothy just didn't simply know about these things. He knew them. He, he was fully aware of those things in all their detail. Think about that for just a minute. Here's Paul, the guy that wrote roughly half the New Testament. And he finds this young man, Timothy, and he adopts him as his spiritual son and begins to teach. Can you imagine sitting at the knee of Paul being taught about Christ? It's like drinking from a fire hose. has to be. If you read all of Paul's writings, you will know or you will see that Paul's life was notable for three things. His doctrine, which was according to the will of God. His life, which did not contradict his doctrine and his persecutions and sufferings. And so with all that as a backdrop, in verses 14 and 15, Paul encourages Timothy to continue in the things which he learned and pay particular attention to what he had learned from the Holy Scriptures. 
Verse 14 says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Notice that phrase, continue in. It implies an ongoing activity, a, a, a remembrance, an application of the things that Timothy has learned, knowing that he learned them from Paul and from the Scriptures. The implication here is that what Timothy learned was without error. It was sound and true, and he could rely on it. Paul is telling Timothy that if he will continue in all that he had learned and been taught, it would equip him to withstand all the challenges that he would face. And as if to underscore that point, Paul then says this, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the point for us, folks, especially now. Get in the Word. It's not enough to simply know what it says. We need to continue in it daily. Search it out. Think about it. Pray about it. Meditate on it. Apply it correctly and let it seep into every corner of your life, in your conduct, your conversations, your thoughts, your prayers, and your worship. And when we do that, we too will be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to examine our faith. We need to get in the Word. The third point is be ready and be watchful. Chapter 4, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. The first phrase there is interesting to me. Paul says, I charge you before God. That means that God is watching. He was watching Paul, and he was watching Timothy, and he's watching us, you and me. Paul tells Timothy to be ready in season and out. And even though we are not preachers or teachers or pastors and we don't have the same responsibilities that Timothy has, we too should be ready to give an account of what we believe and why we believe it. And in doing so, bring others to Jesus. We should be ready anytime and anywhere to explain the hope we have in Jesus. You don't need to be a pastor. You just need to be willing because you are the expert on what God has done for you. That is your witness. You don't have to be a pastor. You just need to be willing because you are the expert on what God has done for you. Finally, Paul charges Timothy to be watchful in all things. Do the work I've charged you to do and fulfill your ministry. In like manner, we too need to be watchful. Watchful of our faith, what we allow to influence it. Watchful of our manner of life. Watchful of our behavior. Watchful of our witness, knowing that Jesus will judge in the end. Now, if you've read this whole passage closely, or if you've read other of Paul's writings, you may have noticed that Paul continually refers to two things, persecution and apostasy, the falling away. These were hot topics for Paul, and he points them out in almost everything he writes. But notice this. I want you to notice this. Persecution, apostasy, it does not happen without some sort of change 
or transition underneath it. Either in the individual, in the church body, or in the society that we find ourselves. Something happened, something changed. That's why 2 Timothy 4 verse 3 is the key passage for, the, for these two messages, this week and last. For the time will come when they will not endure. For the time will come when they will not endure. The Israelites, over time, just as Moses knew they would, turned from God after they entered the promised land. The time came when they no longer endured God's laws and his precepts, and they turned away. In the same way, Paul tells us that in the time in which we live, right now, folks, people inside the church will grow tired of the things of Jesus. They will not endure sound doctrine. They won't want to learn. They won't want to be corrected or accountable. All the things he lists in chapter 3, verse 1. And therein lies our challenge. Our congregation has just entered a time of transition. And regardless of how you feel about it, we need to recognize the fact that if we are not careful, if we are not watchful of our faith, if we don't examine our faith, if we don't get in the word, we could be led astray from the truth. Notice something else. Great change and transition doesn't just come from a pastor retiring. It comes from everywhere. Your politics, your economy, your education, your society, your health, your job, your family, your relationships. All of those things are sources of transition and change. And when those voices, when the voices of those issues become louder than the voice of Jesus, you have a problem. It takes time to convince yourself that you're not happy with the things and the people or the process or the progress at church. And therefore, we need to be very watchful of our faith and not let the voices of change drown out the voice of Jesus. So a couple of final thoughts here. I want to take a look at chapter 4, chapter four verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. Folks, in my opinion, these are some of the grandest words in all of Scripture. These are not words of a defeated man. The term drink offering there is an allusion to the offerings of wine that were part of every sacrifice under the Old Covenant, Numbers chapter 15. It was the last part of the offering, and it made the offering complete. Paul is saying that, in his, that his ministry is complete. He has served the Lord faithfully. And his imprisonment and his execution is the final task necessary to complete his service, his offering, if you will. Just as the drink offering completed the Old Testament sacrifice. This is the example that Paul left for Timothy. And it's the example for us. We must fulfill the ministry that God has given us, each of us, sharing the gospel, making disciples, wherever and in whatever circumstance God has placed you. Paul claims victory from inside a jail cell, and we should all learn from that. God will never leave us or forsake us, and so we're encouraging you to take this season and dive into his word even more. Fight the good fight. Run the race. Keep the faith. Continue to learn and grow and serve, and above all, continue to depend on Jesus. And we do that by reminding ourselves daily that God is near. God is inside you. If you've accepted Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside you and God can't get any closer to you than that. Remain faithful in what we're doing in our attendance and our worship and our reach out and all those things. To be humble in our actions and our decisions and our judgments and our interactions with others and make sure that we are appropriately doing those things. 
Daily, remind yourself to be exceedingly hopeful for what it is that God is doing in our midst. Get in the Word. That's where you'll meet Jesus. Examine your faith. Make sure you understand what you believe and know why you believe it so that when you are able and have opportunity as God brings people into your midst, you can explain to them what God has done for you. And finally, be ready and be watchful. Change and transition comes in a lot of forms. And if you're like me, there's a conversation that goes on in your head 24-7. And when that conversation strays from Jesus and when the voices of all the other things that in the final analysis don't matter, you have a problem. Be watchful of your faith. Be watchful of your conversations and let the things of Jesus seep into you, into your existence. Those are what we should focus on as we navigate a season of change. And if we do, we too can claim victory in the end. So it is our hope, the elders, it's our hope that these couple messages have given you some direction on how to worship, how to worship Jesus when the familiar is gone, and to do so with a focus on Jesus and a hopeful outlook on what the next chapter for our mission at First Church may bring. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the encouragement of Moses, the ability to read your word, to let it be a part of our existence. Help us to be humble and faithful, to examine our faith. Lord, help us to be good and faithful servants and so that we can declare, like Paul, when our time is over, that we have run the race. Thank you for Jesus, Father. In his name we pray. Amen.